Appreciate that, Brother Jeremy, this morning. Pastor Jeremy, Dr. Smith, I did want to say thank you very much for that um, uh, very elegant and um, passionate um, display this morning. Fantastic. That was, that was great. Praise the Lord. Uh, this morning, and I think I need to turn on my mic, is that correct? Until uh, it turns green. Envy with green. It's green. That means go. But um, I do want to introduce my wife. She doesn't need to stand since she's five foot eleven. Um, but uh, Miss Rebecca, uh, my wife of sixteen years, and uh, behind her there's another blondie, Catherine. Uh, she's seven this year, and then Anna. She just turned six. And uh, oftentimes I introduce my wife and myself, and she's five foot eleven going to heaven. I'm five foot seven going to heaven. And uh, so we praise the Lord for that. But um, appreciate my family being here. Appreciate Brother Jeremy and uh, Pastor Jeremy inviting me to his pulpit. It's always an honor uh, and one that you have to respect when you step behind another man's pulpit. And uh, so appreciate uh, his um, confidence in, uh, in me this morning and, and in the Word of God. I did want to share a few things with you before we got into the Word of God this morning concerning uh, the method that we've taken at Lighthouse Baptist Church to encourage folks and direct folks towards missions. Let me give you a little bit of a brief history this morning. Back in, um, I got to Lighthouse Baptist Church in the other Rocky Mount, Rocky Mount, Virginia, in 2008, and, and we're doing, I think, pretty much what, or, or partly what you all have been doing here. Uh, and, and what that was is we were taking missions and, and making it part of our general budget. And I wanted to encourage... and. Uh, our folks to start the direction of going towards faith promise. I think it's a biblical format and a means and a way to be able to encourage people to give towards missions. And for whatever reason, it didn't take hold. Uh, in the first year, uh, in 2008, we had people committed to give approximately about three or $4,000 towards faith promise. And uh, the rest would be taken out of the general budget and slowly weaned over uh, into faith, faith promise. In 2009, uh, we continued that weaning process, and uh, we got over to about eight to $9,000, and so we lowered what was in our general budget and moved and had shifted it over to Faith Promise. But each year that we had these commitments, folks would not, um, they'd not stay steadfast with their commitment towards giving to missions. And so in 2010, when we took up our third Faith Promise commitment, uh, the bottom just fell out. And in March of 2010, I had to write a letter to our missionaries and apologize because from March until the end of that year, we weren't going to be able to give to missions, period. As a pastor, and I've shared this with our folks, I, probably one of the most embarrassing and shameful things I've ever had to do is to write every one of our pastors or every one of our missionaries and say, we can't give for the rest of the year because people are not committed to giving to missions. And uh, I didn't want to throw them under the bus. I didn't write that, uh, that they weren't committed to giving. I'm telling you that here today, that they didn't grasp the concept of faith promise. So that year, uh, the rest of that year, uh, the Lord began to work in my mind and my heart to, to change the format just a little bit so that our folks could get a better grasp of what was missions. We wanted to stick with the faith promise uh, because we do believe that it's a biblical format, but at the same time, we needed to tweak it. I don't know if you've ever been to Franklin County, Virginia, but most of the residents in Franklin County were born there. They're bred there. They, they, they live there, and they die there. Okay? I don't know that, that a whole lot of folks know that there's anything outside of Franklin County. 
And so maybe that made a little bit of a difference of what they thought about international missions. I don't know. But the idea was that we had to go back to the drawing board, and in 2010, the end thereof, we introduced the beginning of 2011, a modified form of faith promise giving, and what we're terming the Adopt-A-Missionary Program. And what this allowed our 37 family units, it allowed each family unit to be able to adopt a missionary or more personally so that they would provide for that missionary. And, and, and Pastor Jeremy is going to hand out to you a commitment form here at the end of the service. But what it allowed uh, them to do, say, I'm just going to use a very commonly known name as Smith this morning. The Smith family could adopt one of the several missionaries that you have here for $25, 50 75 or $100 a month over and above their tithes and offerings. Now, let me explain to you how easy it is to do that. We got a new, uh, a, a new little place called Cookout uh, in our town, okay? And I think you guys have probably been aware of that a lot longer than we have. We enjoy it. Uh, we go there, and typically when we go to Cookout, it's going to run the family anywhere from 20 to $25, you know, uh, to go out to eat these days uh, to a fast food restaurant. It's a good place to eat. But it dawned on me that, that if we f- gave up going to cookout twice a month, that'd be $50 a month. Therein, we have 50 bucks for missions. Folks, that's not a sacrifice. It really isn't. We don't sacrifice in America as it pertains to our giving. We really don't. What we do is oftentimes we give out of our abundance uh, of what we have. I don't think that's the biblical model, but what I'm telling you is the money for missions is there if we learn to live the way that we ought to. And so what we encouraged our people to do was to give $25, $50, 75 or $100 a month, and they could pick and choose a missionary or a field that they chose or desired to, to have. And so the Smith family could support um, the Brown family for $25. They could also support the, the Titus family for $25. And so those two missionaries are now receiving $25. And, and let's say that the Varner family wanted to give uh, 50 to each. Now, both of those families are getting $75 a month. And you can have an, another family and, and pick another field. And so it's, it's a great opportunity for you to get involved in missions in a very unique way that you personally support that single missionary. And our first uh, missions uh, project that we have of this in, in 2011, I told our folks, if you don't give, they don't get. So if the Smith family default on giving to those missionaries for that month they didn't give or the next month they didn't get or the next month they didn't get you see there's personal accountability when it comes to something like that that you understand your their financial lifeline and you think well what's $25 or what's $50 or what's this you realize and I don't know how it is for the Smith family my understanding is for each missionary it's anywhere an average from five to six thousand dollars a month is that about where you need to be for support? About 45. About 45. So it's in the ballpark there. So anywhere from five to $6,000 a month, there's, you know, give or take what mission field you're on. That's a, that's a lot of money to raise, especially when you have to go to 150,000 different independent fundamental Baptist churches to receive support. And so if, if every church began to default on what a missionary needed, it really hurts on the mission field. It really does. And so your 25, your 50, your 75, or your $100 a month makes a big difference for every single missionary that's out there. 
And I would like for you to consider, I think Jer- Pastor Jeremy has, has, has gone ahead and uh, to, to adopt this format and way. And you'll have an opportunity after the service, or at the close of the service rather, to be able to participate in missions in a unique way. Now what does this allow you to do? I just jotted down some notes uh, this morning before we get to the message. First of all, adopt a missionary and a way to be able to do it uh, this way provides accountability for you. When we have faith promise, oftentimes we give to a large pool of money. So if I miss my 50 bucks or 100 bucks that I've committed towards missions that particular month, no big deal because it's a big pot of 15, 16, 17, 20,000, $35,000. Who cares about that? Well, now it becomes personally accountable to you because you are now responsible for that particular missionary. Secondly, it's about simplicity. It's about simplicity. You now have the means to be able to support a missionary the way that God has designed your income to be able to help. Um, I've found that through this process in our church, the people that have the means to give, give the least. Those that have the least to give, least means to give, give the most. It's an amazing way, but it's a simplistic way to be able to give. It allows not only accountability, but simplicity, but also conformity. What do I mean by conformity? We want to conform our lives and passion and desires to the Word of God. God says to go. God also says in the Word of God to give to missions. It allows us to conform to the Word of God so that each individual family unit within this body of Christ can now conform their lives and their giving and their going towards the Word of God. Not only does it allow accountability, simplicity, conformity, but also intimacy. Uh, oftentimes inside of our... Uh, the, uh, and this is one of the things I've discovered about the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, when you talk to Southern Baptist churches and people that are in that circle of things, they find that they're giving to missions. They don't know who the missionary is. They, they don't have missionaries typically come into their churches. Um, there are uh, you know, ex- exclusions to this, but, but certainly the, the Southern Baptists that I've spoken to, they write their check and, and that's it. This allows intimacy and familiarity with that family. You can send cards and all kinds of things and become part of their life. We've had people in our church who have gotten involved so that that missionary is communicating to that family and saying, this is our need. That family can now say, listen, God has laid this upon my heart. And I want to share with you that that they need some extra Bibles. Can this church give extra Bibles towards the missionary that I'm supporting? Those kinds of things. There's intimacy with it, but also there's unity. There's unity. Uh, I have a goal at Lighthouse Baptist Church that every single family unit within our body is giving towards missions. We have 35 giving family units. We have about 38 family units total. Some of those are shut-ins. And, and those kinds of things. But we have 35 family units that are givers. Right now we have 24 families that is giving to missions. That means that there are 11 families that are not given to missions. That does not compute with me. I don't understand that. I cannot comprehend that, why we can't give $10, $15, $20 a month towards missions, even if uh, we do have some struggles in the area uh, of finances. I don't understand that, but my goal is, and I'm sure it is with Pastor Jeremy, is that every single family unit within his church would give towards missions something. Something. It doesn't have to be the block that's, that's on here. You can be led by the Lord. But what I want to, to share with you this morning is, you may not have a missionary in mind. You may not have a field in mind. You just may want to give to missions. 
And uh, it's a great opportunity. You may have a missionary in mind. You may have a mission field in mind. And you'll have an opportunity to partake in that in a unique way. And we've seen some of our families really get involved in the way of missions. And, of course, when that missionary that you guys support, and I see that you have several that are on here, we have 15 ourselves. Uh, When that missionary comes to give a field report, then those families that are giving, we take them out to eat. So, I don't know, Pastor Jeremy, I may have just... uh, Forced him into something there. Okay. And uh, we take them out. We take those families. And so that missionary now gets to see the two or three families that are supporting him. It's really awesome. It opens up the missionaries. It opens up our people. And it brings about unity. And so adopt a missionary is a really unique way. And what it allows is accountability, simplicity, conformity, intimacy, and unity. But the thing that we have to remember is that when we give to missions, it has to be over and above our tithes and offerings. Because what we were finding is, let's say that you give $100 a week towards tithes and offerings. You say, well, I want to participate in the Adopt a Missionary program. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reduce my tithes and offerings from $100 to $75 and give $25 towards missions. You see, you're back right where you started. It has to go above and beyond. It has to go above and beyond. But it is a unique way, I think, of being able to give to missions. And I think that you will find as a unit as a family unit, an awesome opportunity to get involved in missions. And it doesn't have to stop with the, with the family units. It can be part of your Awana program. You can take up love offerings through that. It can be part of your Sunday school program or children's church program or ladies program or gentlemen program, whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I'm looking out in the audience today. We've got several young people. If the parents would encourage their young people to give $1 a month towards missions, if you've got 25 kids in your church and they give $1 a month, you add that up. That's a lot of money a year towards one missionary. That's a, that's a block. That's a unit uh, towards missions. And you guys can do this. Our church has done it. When we started in 2010, we gave about three or $4,000 towards missions. We had to cut it out. In 2011, our church, which averages about 35 family units, uh, our church committed to $13,000 plus. In 2012 about 13500 edging right close to 14000 And then this year in 2013, our church of 35 family units in a poor county is giving a little over $15,000 towards missions. Our ultimate goal is $16,800. And then once we go beyond that, then we'd like to take on more missionaries or to give more uh, to the missionaries that we currently have. So it's a great way. We never, 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 never change the message but certainly you can change the method just a little bit to tweak and uh, to allow people to be part of this great concept of missions and the heartbeat of missions. Well, I pray that that will uh, give you a little bit of an appetite towards Adopt a Missionary and uh, this program and, and that after the service or the conclusion of this particular service, allow you to be involved in this as Pastor Jeremy is going to come and um, after the message, he's going to allow you to have an opportunity to be part of this through a commitment form uh, that you can fill out. Now, I'd encourage you to possibly do it today, but if you need to take time, and I'm sure Pastor Jeremy give me liberty to say this, if you need to take some time to pray about it, you and your family, take it home and then bring it back. I know typically we will have what we call an Adopt-A-Missionary Sunday at our church, 
And it's the first Sunday in February because I preach through missions all through the month of January. Why do I do that? Because everybody leaves in December. Everybody spends their money in December. Okay? But in January, we have a fresh pot of people to, to draw from. And uh, so anyway, take your time. Usually we have two or three families that will wait a couple of weeks afterwards. And sometimes people will say, well, I'm going to wait till my tax returns come in, and then I'm going to give towards that and those kinds of things. But we want to do it based upon faith. We want to do it based upon faith. Well, would you turn with me this morning uh, to Psalms chapter 5. I'd like to start there this morning. And as you're turning, I'd like to go back to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. Let's start in Psalms chapter 5. I'm going to share some verses with you this morning. And I'm going to let you know this morning from the Word of God that we have a mandate to give for His name's sake. That's the title of my message this morning. We have a mandate to give for His name's sake. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, I pray that as we introduce this new method of giving, I pray, Heavenly Father God, that the hearts and minds of people here today would be stirred to be able to give to missions how simple it is, how effective it is, how much we can give when we do it with the heart and attitude of unity. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless this church and Pastor Jeremy and their vision and desire to support missions in a very powerful way. I pray now, Lord, as we look at the Word of God, help us to preach it effectively. Lord, that we would take the time to, to, to really look at your Word today, to break it up and, and, and allow it to stir our hearts, Lord. I'm convinced in my heart there's only one means of salvation. It's through the power and preaching of your Word. Lord, it is your Word that leads one to Christ. It is your Spirit, Lord, that convicts the heart of sin And then, Lord, that you're drawing them to the Lord Jesus Christ that brings one to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray today that as believers, I trust that the folks here are, that God will be stirred from the Word of God to grow and mature and do the things that you'd have us to do. We pray these things in Christ's blessed holy name. Amen. You may have heard oftentimes this phrase that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. That's partly true. But it's not the entire picture when we look at the Word of God. I want to say this morning that we have a mandate for His namesake. We need to support missions. And my first point this morning would be because of the condemnation of the heathen. The condemnation of the heathen. And a lot of people will say, well, God loves, again, the sinner, but He hates the sin. Partly true, but not entirely the picture. In Psalms chapter 5, in verses 4 and 5, the Word of God says this, For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Listen closely. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Of iniquity. Now turn with me to Psalms chapter 11, in verse 5 this morning. Psalms 11 and verse 5. And in verse 5 it says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. When I did not know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, it's very true that God loved me. But it's also as equally true that God hated me. God hates the wicked sinner. And I know that oftentimes that doesn't preach well, within a lot of churches. But we just looked at the verses 
that those that commit acts of iniquity and injustice against a righteous and holy and powerful and majestic God, God in heaven hates the sinner because they are enemies against the cross of Christ. And folks, we've got to understand that there are sinners all across this world that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, and they are at enmity with God. God hates the sinner. But it's equally as true that God loves the sinner. Therefore, we have John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth upon Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But folks, you and I have got to get it in our hearts and minds and souls today that that we don't just have a God in heaven who just plays around with His holiness and His righteousness. He is a majestic and holy, righteous God. And this God has anger against the sinner today. And let me take you to my second point that would be found in John. John chapter 3 and verse 36 this morning. Not only does the condemned heathen, not only does God hate the heathen, hate the sinner, but in John chapter 3 and verse 36, it says here, it says, He that believeth on the Son has what? Everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath there means anger or indignation. God has anger with the one who is in a position of rejection of His plan of salvation. God is an angry God. You're thinking, wow. Is God... Yes. God God hates the sinner. God abhors the sinner. God is angry with the sinner. Before you and before I came to know Christ as Lord and Savior, we were enemies as Romans chapter 5 and verses 8 through 10. We're enemies of God. We're enemies of the cross of Calvary. And every single person that is without the Lord Jesus Christ is under the wrath of God. He's under the anger of God. Do you get a picture this morning, just a glimpse of the need to support missions so that we can send out missionaries so that they can share that that sinner is an enemy of God and that there is a means and a ways to come back into the grace of God, and that is that God does not desire to pour His anger against the sinner. God does not desire to pour His wrath upon the sinner. That's why He did it on the cross of Calvary. God poured His wrath and anger upon His Son, Jesus Christ, so that He wouldn't have to do it upon the sinner. But in their present state, God is angry and abhors the sinner. But there is a love that surpasses all understanding. And that is that God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for that sinner. Therefore, it's equally as true that God hates the sinner as much as God loves the sinner. We don't understand that because we're fallen. We can't hate the way that God hates. And we can't love the way that God loves because we are sinners and we are fallen. But God can hate with an absolute pure and righteous hate. But we can't. But we can't. I want you to understand today, ladies and gentlemen, that we need to support missions because of the condemnation of the heathen, because they're under the wrath of God. But at the same time, 
our God isn't like the pagan gods. The pagan gods demand sacrifice. They could even demand a blood sacrifice or a death sacrifice, and they'll appease for a time, but they have to keep doing that over and over and over and over again. But our God can be appeased, if I can say that, found in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does that mean? That through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, the word propitiation there means a satisfying sacrifice. God's anger and hate of the sinner is appeased through the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the message that we need to share. How can we share that message with people overseas? Through giving. So that good, godly, wholesome people can share the Word of God where we can't. We can enter into that field. We can enter into that work where they are telling people that there is a God that they're going to meet. And He is an angry God, but He's a God that loves them and sent His only Son to die for them today. I wrote this note down in preparation of this message. This message... To just see God's love for the sinner, we are lured into a lethargic, passive state of a non-compliant, of non-compliance. But when we see His anger and His hate He has for the sinner, it can be an awakening to move us to intercede for the unbeliever with unbridled and compassionate conviction. You see, if we just see the love of God... It's okay because God loves the sinner. It's okay that they stay in the state that they're in because God loves you. And just like the liberal preacher, he'll love them straight into hell. But God's word says very clearly that God is angry with the one that is outside of his perfect will. Let me read in your hearing real quick and we'll move on to our next point. Romans chapter 5. If that wasn't enough for you, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, The word of God here says in verse 8, But God commandeth, He demonstrated, He displayed His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from what wrath? We'll be saved from the wrath through Him. Who were we before we were saved? For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Folks, when you were undone and unsaved, you were enemies of God. You're underneath His wrath. You're underneath His hate. But God, unlike the pagan gods, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins because He equally hates the sinner. He loves the sinner Today, You and I need to enter into missions. We have a mandate for His namesake because of the condemnation of the heathen. But secondly, not only do we have a mandate for His namesake, for the condemnation of the heathen, but a cry from hell. I'd like for you to look at Luke chapter 16 with me, if you would, please. I know that you're familiar with this passage of Scripture. We won't read all of the details. I know that you know of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, he lived very well. Matter of fact, Christ said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 25, He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. 
Because a rich man thinks that he has all the comforts of the world. The poor man has to be seeking. But in Luke 16, we have this picture. And in verses 19 through 21, we see the rich man here. Listen closely as I quickly go through this. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked them. We have two different people here, don't we? You've got the rich man who's never even named and then you've got Lazarus who's the poor man. These two men are going to meet their fate, which is death. You and I are going to someday meet death. And you will either be as the rich man or you will be as the poor man. The rich man was carried into hell where the, uh, Lazarus would be carried into what we see here as Abraham's bosom, a picture of heaven. This is not a parable. This is a literal, actual event that has taken place. In verse 22 through 26, we see the reality. It says in verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Listen in verse 23. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, rememberest that thou in thy lifetime receiveth the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. And there that word is again, but thou art tormented. The reality that we see in verses 20 through, 22 through 26 is this. First of all, the reality of hell is that there is a physical understanding. The reality is that we see things physically. Look at verse 23 with me again. What does he say? He says, In hell he lifted up his eyes. He could see. He seeth Abraham. You see that in verse 23, And Abraham afar off. We not only see that, that he could see, but he could speak. Look at verse 24, And he cried. He said, Father Abraham. And he could feel. Look at the latter part of verse 22. He says, He may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. The reality of hell, ladies and gentlemen, is physically that the person that is in hell for all of eternity, they'll be able to see, they'll be able to speak, they'll be able to feel. Now there's, there's a false doctrine that's out there called annihilation that somehow the, the body or the soul that is in hell will eventually after 70, 80, 100 years, 150 years, 1,000 years will just burn up and turn into ash. Folks, that's not true. Hell is for all of eternity. And the person that goes there without the Lord Jesus Christ, and ultimately all will when they go to hell, will feel the pain, they'll see, they'll speak. But not only do we see the reality that they'll burn physically, they'll, they'll feel physically, but they'll also have their mental capability about them as well. Look at verse 23 again. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and what he sees, Abraham. He can comprehend, he understands what he's looking at. He sees Abraham, and he sees afar off Lazarus. He can see, he can look at them, and he can recognize them for who they are. They, he remembers there's comprehension in hell. Then he called to mind, look at verse 25. He had a memory. 
But in, but in verse 25 it says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth the good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. You, you see, Abraham calls him to mind. Do you remember? There's memory in hell. And I think for those that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think about the, the two thieves that were hung with Christ. One, at some point through the gospels, understands that he's about to die and he needs a Savior. The other one continues to, to cry out and blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ and deny Him and reject Him. Could you imagine being in hell for all of eternity and thinking that I was on the cross few feet away from the Savior of the world in my arrogance and my pride I rejected Him? He'll remember that for all of eternity. He's in hell thinking about that very moment, this moment. This Rich man, can you imagine right now, is still crying in hell. He's still lifting up his voice. He's still remembering those moments. This is a literal account of a gentleman that's in hell today. We see the rich man, we see the reality. But thirdly, in verses 27 and 28, we see the request. He says in verse 27, Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. I think it's an honorable request. I think there's, there's no mention here of the rich man ever saying, but, but I was innocent. <laughs> I think the absence of the fact that he's crying out and not saying, but Abraham, would you tell God, please, I'm innocent. He understands he's guilty before a God of wrath. He doesn't even... He doesn't even play that game, does he? He understands fully and completely that this man is a sinner and judged to hell for his sins. But in his request, he says to Abraham, Will you please, would you please send him, Lazarus, to my father's house? Will you let him talk to my brothers? I've got five of them. There is a cry from hell at this very moment for every person who has ever been cast into eternity because of their sins. And they lift up their cry from hell this very day. Will you please give to mission so that my family will not find this place of torment? This is happening right now, folks. This isn't a fairy tale story. This is truth. This is reality. And I think it's an honorable request But we see the response in verses 29 through 31. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, and let them hear him. What is Abraham saying? They've got the word of God. They've got the word of God. Look at verse 30. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but hey, listen, I got an idea. If one went unto them from the dead, listen, they'll repent. Abraham responds, he says, And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded through, uh, though one rose from the dead. Isn't that true today? One did raise from the dead, and they won't hear our Savior, Jesus Christ. They reject Him. They blaspheme Him. They reject His name and who He is. And here we have a perfect picture, ladies and gentlemen, of a cry from hell of one who is saying, Will God's people... Like Moses, will they preach the word of God? Will they teach the word of God so that people do not have to perish in this torment for all of eternity? We have a mandate for his namesake to support missions because of the condemnation of the heathen. Because of the cry 
from hell this morning as we see that in Luke chapter 16. But thirdly, because of the Christian who wants to herald the word of God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10 and 11, if you would please. And I'll quickly get through this. I know that you're familiar with this passage of Scripture. I'm confident that you are, that Peter, God is dealing with the preparation of the missionary. For one missionary, it was 30 years. <laughs> For Peter, maybe a little bit less, as God is calling him in Acts chapter 10 and verses 1 through 22. He's preparing missionary Peter here. He says, Peter, I want you to go to the Gentiles and listen, don't call anything uncommon. The gift of salvation is going to come to all men who repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is doing a work in Peter's life who has a legalistic mentality. But God is softening his heart and preparing him for the work of missions. And then God is calling and preparing a man for salvation. His name is Cornelius. His name is Cornelius. There would be some that would say that Cornelius was already saved, but I would, I would differ with that found in Acts chapter 11 and verse 14. It says there in verse 14 of Acts chapter 11, it says, Who shall tell thee words, talking about the family, talking about Peter telling him words, Scripture, the Word of God. He's talking about the, Cornelius, the family of Cornelius, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. But what I see here in this passage of Scripture is we've got to kind of quickly bring this to a close. In Acts chapter 10, after we see the preparation of the servant in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 22, in Acts chapter 10, in verse 34, we begin to see that this prepared missionary is being called by the Holy Spirit of God to go and speak to Cornelius. Look at verse 30, 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, that's what we need right there. That's what we need. We need missionaries on the field, over the seas, opening their mouth and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ after they've been prepared by God for the work of the ministry. And so first of all, we see the work of the servant. But secondly, in this passage of Scripture, we see the work of the Scripture. Look at the latter part of verse 32, 34. It says, Instead of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He learned a lesson, didn't he? He understands now that God wants all to come to Christ. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. And in verse 37 it says, That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all of Judea, and began from Galilee, and the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We see some things in these passages of Scripture. We see the work of the servant in verse 34 and also in verse 42. We see the work of the Scripture in verses 34 through 43. And I'll, I've got to make this quick, but it says in verse 36 through 38, which I just read to you, we see that Christ reigns. Look at verse 36, the latter part. It says, He is Lord of all. When we preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, part of that message of the Scripture has to be that Jesus Christ, He reigns. He's Lord Supreme. There's nobody equal to Him, nor is there anybody close to the leadership and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ reigns. But also we have to share with that gospel message that Christ was rejected and slain. Look at verse 39. 
And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. You have the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the rejection and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now look at verse 40 and 41. Him God raised up, you have the resurrection, in the third day and showed Him openly, not to all people but unto witnesses chosen before God. You see His sovereignty, even to us who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead. That gospel, that scripture that needs to go is that Christ reigns, that Christ was rejected, and that Christ is risen, but also that Christ provides remission of sin. Look at verse 43. To Him give all the prophets witness, and through His name, whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. The word remission there means a full pardon. You and I need a full pardon, not a half pardon, because we're sinners. We're born sinners. We are sinners, and without Christ we'll die Sinners. You see the proclamation of the Christian? You see the work of the servant, what God was doing in Peter's life? You see the work of the Scripture, but then in also verse 44, we see the work of the Spirit of Christ. It says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. That's what we need. We need missionaries on the field who are prepared and ready to go. We need to get them overseas. We need to get them like they say, boots on the ground. We need them to preach the Word of God, but they need us to support them in that effort to herald the Word of God. And God can use a church like this to send missionaries abroad to do the work that we can't do because God hadn't called us. And in some cases, the work that we won't do. We see that in this passage of Scripture. And so this morning, as we look at these thoughts, we have a mandate for His namesake. Because of the condemnation of the heathen, the cry from hell, the Christian who wants to herald the Word of God, but finally and ultimately, it should simply rest with this final thought, the commission from heaven. Our brother eloquently spoke to this point in Matthew 28 this morning. Let's turn there real quick, and I'll close out my message. I've only got, I think, four more hours to go. Jeremy, you might want to get a uh, battery there, big guy. (laughs) Amen. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Final words, even as our brother spoke this morning. Matthew 28 and verse 18, it says, And Jesus came... And spake unto them, saying, All power or all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If I came to this church this morning and I began to direct the deacons, and this congregation in a pastorly fashion, many of you would look at me as a fool. And you would look at me as a fool because it's not my place, it's not my position. God has brought leadership to this church. That leadership was voted in at this church. 
And so therefore I could not come and say, I have the power to charge the deacons and the congregation. This is what we're going to do. This is our new vision. This is our new purpose, our new goal. If I came to the mayor of this town and began to start to direct the city council and say, this is what we're going to do, city council, they'd look at me as a fool. I've not been voted in. They don't know who I am. I'm not from this part. If I came to North Carolina, and I'm sorry, the governor that you have, apologize, but the governor that you do have, if I begin to direct state officials and tell them what they needed to do, they'd look at me as a fool. I'm not in the position of authority as governor. If I were president and I began to, uh, or assume the position of president and begin to tell the national officials or leaders, this is what we're going to do, they'd what? They'd look at me as a fool. You hadn't been voted in. You don't have the authority or power to do this. But yet, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 18, where He says that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, why then, as God's people, when it comes to missions, do we look at Him as a fool? You are not going to direct my life in this area. We are not going to be directed in this fashion and way. Yet Christ says very clearly, I have all power and all authority to tell you, the church, the body of Christ, to do what I've told you. It's a mandate. It's a purpose. And yet every Saturday and every Thursday, where's our people when it comes to outreach? Where's our people when it comes to sharing the gospel at the workplace? I remember a gentleman, he recently passed away. But I remember talking to him, and, and he was talking about his neighbor who had passed away. And I said, well, he, did he know the Lord? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, why don't you know? I never talked to him. He had lived next to that man for 35 years. And not one time did he open and share the gospel with this man. And he shared that information. How can we do that? We look at verse 18 and we say, well, Christ, you're foolish. I don't care that all power was given unto you under heaven and earth. I'm not going to be part of missions. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do anything. We can't look at Christ as a fool. He's the Savior of this church. He's the body of Christ. He's the head of the body of Christ. He is Lord. He is King. He's everything, folks. And He has given us His last words. And His last words were, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We've got to look at Christ, not as a fool, as a leader, but we have to look at Christ as Lord and submit to Him and obey His call for our lives today. I pray and trust today, ladies and gentlemen, that when we've presented the Word of God to you, that you will come on board with missions, every single family unit, and be part of this. We don't need any other point. We don't need any other mandate. We don't need man to twist your arm. All that we need to know is what Jesus Christ said in verse 18. I have all power given to me. He has all authority over this church. Does he have authority over you? Does he have authority over your bank account? Does he have authority over your time, your treasure, your talent? Or do we hold those things back? I'll close this with this one thought in mind. Oftentimes, in, in preparing to give our tithes and offerings or um, what my wife and I do, 
we'll sit down in November and December of the, the year before and we'll begin, well, does the Lord want us to increase our giving? What does God want us to do? How does God want us to use the money that we have? And oftentimes we have this mentality. The mentality is this. How much should I give of my money to God? That's oftentimes how we phrase it. How much of my money should I give to God? When in reality, the question ought to be, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? That's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning when it comes to missions. We have a mandate because of Christ's authority, because of His namesake so that people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray today, I encourage you to come and be part of missions in a unique way. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to turn the the service over to Pastor Jeremy this morning. Father God, what a joy to be able to be here. God, I pray that you break our hearts, Lord. Help us to be people that are broken, to see that others are going to hell, and we don't have to hoard our money for ourselves, for entertainment, for going out to eat, and doing those kinds of things, Lord, that we can, we can give up some things. We can give up some things for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others can hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you bless this pastor, this missionary that came and, and brought his work, Dr. Smith and his wife. God, bless them as they herald the word of God and bless this congregation, Lord, that they'll submit to the mandate of Christ, and that is to be part of missions for His namesake. We pray these things. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.